All right, let's open our Bibles Luke chapter number 11 this evening. Luke chapter number 11. We preached on Wednesday night about prayer. And uh, I, after two or three failed attempts to get it out right, made the statement that uh, uh, you can preach on prayer anytime, but Wednesdays is the time that you preach on prayer. Amen? And now I'm going to break that rule. Somebody say amen to that. And I'm going to preach on Sunday night about prayer in the life of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Luke chapter number 11, I, I'll go ahead and tell you, this is probably going to be a simple message, uh, but usually I found, what are we eating tonight? Usually when there's donuts waiting, people like a short message, amen? Luke chapter number 11, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. We're going to read down to verse number 13. The Word of God says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend? shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, my children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil... Know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Let's pray together. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this privileged opportunity, Lord. There's people all over the world literally going under the cover of darkness, under the threat of persecution and of death, to be able to do what we've come so freely to do tonight. May we never forget what a privilege it is to meet together with the body of Christ in the house of God and to be able to hear the truth of God, sing the songs of Zion, and to be able to worship You, to do business with You. Lord, may we never forget the blessed privilege that the Holy Ghost is, that He might walk amongst us, that He might stir within us. Lord, saints, for thousands of years before uh, the resurrection, they lived and had to walk with You without the indwelling of the Spirit of God. We're privileged to be able to be indwelt by Your Spirit. Let us not take lightly what's going to take place on this Sunday night. Let us have our hearts open to the truth of God. And let us, Lord, be ready to deal with You and for You to deal with us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter number 11, these verses that we've read, the topic and thought and principle of prayer is set forth before us. And uh, several things that the Lord Jesus teaches us 
about prayer. We'll get in here in a few moments into the message, but I want to just walk through them. I want you to notice what we find in this passage. In verses 2 through 4, we have a pattern for prayer. This chapter opens with the disciples happening. I, I hate to use the word happening upon when you got a providential God, you don't happen upon anything. But I mean, they, they come to Jesus and they find Him in a state of prayer. And as they listen to the blessed Lord pray, as they hear the things that He is is storming the throne of God about, as they can sense the connection between His heart and soul and between the ears of His Father, they are enraptured by the thought of being able to get a hold of God like this. And so when He's done, they approach Him they say, Lord, teach us to pray. (laughs) Hey, listen, anytime you get around God doing anything. God always does it better than anybody else. He is our greatest example. I don't want to get into my message before I get into my message. Uh, But they say, Lord, teach us to pray. I want to be the type of person in my life that when people hear me witness to others, they say, Lord, teach me how to witness. When people are around me when I'm praying and trying to get a hold of God, they say, Lord, teach me how to pray. I want to have the kind of life when I worship the Lord and people are around it, they say, Lord, teach me to worship. I want to be the right example to those that are around me. Say amen right there. I was going to ask for an amen, but you seem sleepy, so I'll just tell you to amen tonight. And so they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us like John taught his disciples. Those guys know how to pray, and we know you can teach us. Lord, teach us to pray. And he responds to him this way. He says, when you pray... Say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me say this, that the Lord Jesus gives them a pattern for prayer. I don't necessarily think we have to parrot the words of the Lord Jesus that are found here. But I think the elements of the Lord's prayer that are here, they ought to be present every time that we get down in serious business of prayer with God. He begins by recognizing who He is He's talking to. He says, Our Father which art in heaven. Uh, Listen, ain't no business praying if you're not willing to recognize who you're praying to. And why that is what matters. Why that is what enables us. Hey, listen, we ain't just praying to some God. We ain't just praying to a God. We are praying to the God. And if you know the Lord, we're praying to our God. He didn't just say a Father. He didn't just say the Father. He said our Father. And the whole essence of prayer is wrapped up in the relationship that we have through Jesus Christ. Hey, He is my Father because He's Jesus' Father. And I got into the family by way of Jesus. So He's our Father. And the whole essence, the whole reason I pray is because He's our Father. The whole reason that I come before God, it's not out of duty. Listen, it's because I have an entrance through the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul said we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. He starts by reminding them who it is they're praying to. It ain't going to help you to pray to Mary. It ain't going to help you to pray to your dead ancestors. Uh, It ain't going to help you to pray to some prophet. But if you'll pray to our Father, which art in heaven, that gets business done. It says, our Father. And then he notices where he's at. He says he's in heaven. Why is that important? Because heaven is, is what gets things done on earth. Amen? 
You find this principle all throughout the Old Testament. You find heaven reaching down and intervening and interceding in the activities of men. And that's still the case today. Listen, you want to get something done, don't go to earth and talk to men about heaven. Go to heaven and talk to them about men on earth. Get a hold of the throne room of God. That's where business is taken care of. Our our Father, He's not just a Father, He's our Father, but He's the Almighty Father. He's the Father of lights. He's the one that can get things accomplished because He sits upon the circle of the earth, because He graces the throne of glory, because He sits on a throne of supreme power, providence, and ability. And so He's in heaven. We need to remember why it is that He can help us Then he says, this hallowed be thy name. We need to be reminded he's a holy father. We need to be reminded, hey, the holy father don't sit over in in, uh, the Vatican. The holy father sits on his throne in glory. He's hallowed. There's a lot of things that we pray, we ask God for, but we ask amiss that we may consume it upon our own lust. And a hallowed father with a hallowed name, he's not going to answer those prayers. And so I believe it sort of purges and tempers and shapes and informs our prayer when we're reminded that He's a holy God and He desires holiness in our lives. It says, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Listen, in your prayer life, if you can make the will of God the supreme pursuit, you'll find you'll gain a lot more ground in prayer. You'll get a lot more done. You'll get a lot more answers if you'll make God's business your business instead of trying to make your business God's business. Prayer is a lot more about getting His will done on earth than it is about getting our will done in heaven. And so he says, let's make sure when we're praying, we're seeking that God's will would be done in earth as it is in heaven. Verse number 3, he gets into the practical element. He says, give us day by day our daily bread. Now, there's a deep spiritual truth here, too. Because, of course, he's hearkening back to when God fed the children of Israel day by day in the wilderness with the manna that fell from heaven. And the great truth that God was teaching to them then was that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. In other words, what he's saying is this. uh, You'd a lot sooner have the promise of God than a loaf of bread. That loaf of bread can go stale, but the promise of God never fails. So you'd a lot sooner have the promise of God than a loaf of bread. But it's a reminder of this, that prayer is not some abstract, uh, transcendental experience that does not touch our daily lives. Hey, listen, we may get, be getting into the throne room of God by faith, but very often it is because we are petitioning for God to do very real things in our life here. And there ain't nothing in the world wrong with saying, Lord, I have a need. Would you please meet it? I'd say this, that most of us would never go to the throne room of God if we didn't have needs. And while certainly we ought to get into His presence just to adore Him, just to love on Him, just to tell Him how great, glorious, and grand He is, I think we'd be being naive if we didn't recognize that very often when we come into His presence, we have something we're asking Him for. And that's not a bad thing. I think there are times we ought to kindle a fire at His door for naught. I think there are times that we ought to go in and not need a thing. But you better mark it down. There's going to be a lot of times in your life that you're going to be coming to God because you need something. And if you're too prideful, if you're too self-reliant and self-dependent to come to God when you have a need, then you're not going to get the help that you need. Uh, James said, you have not because you ask not. Hey, listen, I can guarantee what prayers won't be answered, and that's the ones that ain't never prayed. So he says we ought to pray over these practical things. We recognize in verse number 4, he says, Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. 
It's interesting because God uses the term sins and debts interchangeably throughout these passages. You know what I think He's trying to get at? He's trying to remind us that, hey, there may be some people that owe us some debts because they've treated us wrong, but we owed God a greater debt than they ever owed to us. And He's trying to adjust our minds on the fact that forgiveness ought to be a common topic and theme in our prayer life. Lord, forgive me! But also, Lord, give me the grace to forgive them. Give me the faith to forgive them. Listen, most forgiveness, before if it's ever going to happen, it's going to have to happen by faith. People ain't going to earn your forgiveness most of the time. If you're going to be right, you're going to have to forgive them when they've not done anything to earn your forgiveness. And you're going to have to do it in the person of Christ. So He reminds us that we are to forgive others. And He says this then, and lead us not into temptation. Now what's He talking about? When he says temptation, he, he, I don't believe he's necessarily talking about the temptation to sin. I believe what he's saying is, Lord, protect us. He goes on to the next phrase. He says, deliver us from evil. You know that in your Bible, the term temptation has dual connotations. It can mean the solicitation to sin. And you may say, well, preacher, why is it that you don't believe that's what he could be talking about? Because James also said that God tempteth no man. God, listen, prayer is valuable. You with me? Prayer is valuable. I don't know how valuable your time is, but prayer is valuable. God's not going to have you wasting breath on stuff that ain't never a risk anyway. God's not going to lead you into a place of a desire to do sin. God tempteth no man. So when it says, lead us not into temptation, it must be saying into trials, into troubles. And it's a reminder of this, that listen, in our prayer life, there ain't nothing wrong with praying that God get us out of messes and troubles. I know that, listen, there's always going to be a real spiritual crowd that's going to say, well, you made your bed, now lie in it. But I'm sure glad God didn't do us that way, aren't you? Hey, listen, man, if a, if a man be overtaken with a fault, ye which are spiritual, are, are spiritual, restore such an one with the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. I'm glad, man, there's grace even in the prayer closet. Even in the prayer closet. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He gives them a pattern for prayer. But then I want you to notice the next few verses, he gives them the principle of prayer. What is prayer all about? Look at verse number 5. He said unto them, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight? So he's telling, we might say a parable. He doesn't call it a parable. But let's call it this, an illustration. You hear preachers do this all the time. You've heard me do it. Suppose such and such happened. And that's what the Lord Jesus is doing. He said, just imagine with me for a moment that one of you has a friend, shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. He says, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needed. Now, what's the Lord Jesus teaching here? I'm going to say some other things about these verses here in just a moment because I'm glad, listen, when we pray, we're not going to a friend, we're going to a father. Amen? And we, we're, most of the time, we ain't asking for three loaves. We're asking for a lot more. And we're going to say a word about the comparing contrast. Contrast is a valuable tool in the Bible. God uses it a lot. He'll lay two things beside each other and He'll say, it ain't this, but it is this. But what is the greater thing that Christ is teaching His disciples here? It's all wrapped up in that word importunity. Can I give you a, a good East Tennessee hillbilly definition for importunity? 
being a pain in the neck. That's what importunity is. Importunity is when your five-year-old comes up to you and says, Dad, can I have a piece of candy? And you say no, and he says, please. And you say no, and he says, please. You say no, and he says, please. And you say no, and he says, please, 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 please. That's importunity. He's being importunate. Amen. In other words, he's saying, I ain't going to leave till I get what I want. And I'm going to ask until you give up listening. And I'm going to get what I want. And you know what the Lord Jesus teaches here? This is the principle of prayer. I want you to listen carefully. There's value in seeking and asking and knocking. He, he, he explains it clearly in the next verses. He says, I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. He says, seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. And then lest we misunderstand, he's not saying every time we ask we're going to receive. He's not saying every time we seek that we're going to find. He's not saying every time we knock it's going to be open unto you. Sometimes God's answer is no. But what he is saying is clarified in verse 10. He says, for everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and him that knocketh it shall be open." In other words, he's saying this, it's the folks that do the asking that get the receiving. It's the folks that do the seeking that do the finding. And it's the folks that do the knocking that have the door opened unto them. I'll tell you this, the door that's never knocked on is unlikely to open. I'll tell you this, the the item that's never sought after is quite unlikely to ever be found. And the request that's never asked for is very unlikely to be received. The principle of prayer is this. If you don't ask, you ain't going to get it. And that's not to say if you ask that you're always going to get it. Sometimes God's greatest grace is in unanswered prayers, in not giving us the things that we ask for. But it is to say this, that we have not because we ask not. And if we want, we better ask. And we, we better ask not a miss, but a right, if we want to receive it. There's a lot of folks just standing around at the door of their problems and waiting for God to open them. And all it takes is just knocking but they're too prideful to knock. There's folks that are looking for an answer and they need an answer, but they refuse to seek it because they're too prideful and they're never going to get that answer. And there's folks that are standing around with a need and it could be met, but they refuse to ask and so they'll never receive. you got to ask if you want to receive. you got to seek if you want to find. you got to knock if you want it to be open. By the way, I also think this isn't part of my message. You ready? This is... This is free. This is only going to cost you seven fifty plus shipping and handling. You ready? We do see a progression in prayer here. A progression. In other words, when we're seeking God about something, when we want something, it begins by asking. When you don't ask, or when you don't get the answer you want when you've asked, you know what you ought to do? You ought to seek and try to figure out why that is. There's been a lot of times I've asked God for things, and I should have had better sense than to ask for them because I knew they was wrong. They was sinful. I'm not talking about they was extravagant. Our Father is often extravagant with His grace and goodness. I'm not saying it wasn't my place to ask, because I've always got a place in His throne room when I approach by faith. But I'm saying I asked for things that were wrong, that were sinful, things that would damage me, things that would hurt my testimony. And I should have known better. I should have known God loved me too much to give me those things. Ask, if you don't get what you're asking for, then you ought to seek to try to find out why. And guess what? If you sought it out, if you can see no reason why God wouldn't give you that thing or do that thing for you or open that door, if you sought God and you just can't find any reason, you know what you ought to do? You ought to keep knocking until it's opened unto you. 
say, preacher, well, what will happen if he won't open it unto me? Then he'll make known to you, I believe that it's a closed door, that it's a locked uh, door handle. But you ought to just continue to knock. Say, what does that look like? It looks like never taking something off your prayer list. Just keep going to God about it. I'm not saying you have to lay up on your floor enraptured in prayer for 12 hours over something if you don't know why God ain't answering it. But I, sometimes you should. But I'm saying this. You ought to leave it on there if you can't figure out a reason it shouldn't be on there. Keep praying about it. You might find that you just got to knock until that door is open. You say, preacher, why would God do such a thing? Because there's something we learn in the knocking, in the seeking, in the asking. We see a progression in prayer. And I like this, man. It closes with the promise of prayer. Look what he says. I didn't say I closed my sermon. Don't get excited. He said, this passage, it's in the fine print. This passage closes with this statement. He says, if a son asks bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he for a fish give him a servant? Some of y'all might be confused by this next one. Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Then he makes this statement. He says, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? I told you a little earlier, and this may be why Christ doesn't call it a parable. He just It's an illustration because a parable is an earthly story that teaches a heavenly truth. And I guess it does teach a heavenly truth, but I believe there's a contrast between the illustration that's given in the verses prior and between what the Lord Jesus says about our relationship to prayer in these verses. Go back and look at these verses with me for just a moment. Think about it. It says, which of you shall have a friend? Listen, when I come to the throne of God, I ain't coming to a friend. I'm coming to a father. Amen? and shall go unto him at midnight. Midtime, midnight, it's an inconvenient time. Later on, the man says, you can't trouble me at this hour. Man, I'm glad there's never a time when God slumbers or sleeps. There's no time we approach unto him. He says, hey, can you call back later? It's just a bad time. I'm sorry. I can't listen to you right now. I got too much going. I got too many other people praying. There's never a time when our Lord's ears are weighed down and overloaded. There's never a time when his schedule is too full. There's never a time when he's just too busy. He always has a line open to his people. I'm glad, man. It don't matter if it's midnight or if it's mid-morning or midday or mid-afternoon. It don't matter if it's the middle of everything. He's got time for us. And saying to him, friend, lend me three loaves. Hey, that ain't what my prayer life is like. But I'll tell you this, if I wanted three loaves, I'd go to Walmart and buy me three loaves before I'd pray about it. Amen? It's all right. That'll sink in here in a second. I'm usually asking God for a lot more than three loaves. It ain't uncommon for me to be asking God for three lives or more. Lord, save this person. Lord, change this person. Lord, rescue this family. God, do a work where nobody can and where I can't. The fact is, most of the time, I ain't just asking for three loaves. I'm asking for a lot more. It says, for a friend of mine... In, in, in his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. This man was in this situation, not of his own choosing, not of his own making. He, he just, somebody just showed up at his door and said, hey, I'm here, let's make sandwiches. Amen. I, I don't know what else you'd do with three loaves of bread. Hey, I'm here, it's a grilled cheese party. But you know what I found? A lot of times when I'm praying, I'm praying about a mess that I've got myself in. It ain't been somebody's come along and put me in this mess. Most of the time when I'm praying and when I've got problems, it's because I put myself squarely in those problems. So I, I see some differences here. Notice the next phrase. He said, 
He, he, uh, the Bible says, and he from within shall answer and say, I'm glad I don't have to talk to God through a door. That, that, that mess ended with the Old Testament. Somebody say amen to that. Hey, that was the Old Testament when uh, the priest could not go past that barrier, past that curtain, and they had to send only one person could go in the high priest once a year. I'm glad, man, I can draw nigh unto him. I've got an anchor within the veil, and I've got a hope. I've got an entrance in unto Him. I have, again, to echo Paul's words, I have access. I don't have to talk to God through a door. I can get into His presence. I don't have to talk to God through a priest. I can get into His presence. I don't have to talk to God through the preacher. I can get into His presence. And I can talk to Him directly through the Spirit of God. He says, from within, trouble me not. The door is now shut. I'm glad the door is never shut, aren't you? It says, my children with, are with me in bed. I'm glad that God does not have divided attention. He's saying this, hey, listen, we already done tucked up in bed here. I, I'm not going to disrupt these people so that I can answer your request. I'm glad that our Lord doesn't have divided attention. He, he can minister in this person's life and that person's life. He can fix your problems without creating problems for me. He is unlimited in what He can do. The Bible says this. He says, I cannot rise and give thee. I'm glad we don't have a God that's limited in any way. There's never anything that you ask God for that He's too weak to answer. That He's not powerful enough to accomplish. That ought to be a great source of encouragement. You know why? Because that tells me this. If God doesn't answer, it ain't because He can't answer. It's because it's not right for us to have that answer. It's not because He is limited in His ability. He can do anything that He wants to do. It's because it's not the will of God. It's not what's best for us. I'm glad. Listen, I'm not going to a friend. I'm going to a father. And as such, listen now, I told you the promise of prayer we can have every reason to expect that God's going to do absolutely a thousand percent what's best in our lives. He says, if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? I'm glad this, that prayer, answered prayers ought to never be, and, and I, w- I want to be careful how I say this, because I know how the flesh is, man. And I know God could give us a hundred dollar bill and we'd complain that it ain't crisp enough. But let me say this, that answered prayer is never and should never be a disappointment in our life. I don't know about you, but if I ask for a big old loaf of bread, you walk through Walmart now. Uh, there's times, man, I, I would I hate Walmart, but if I got to go to Walmart, at least I get to walk by that subway. Your Walmart got a subway? My Walmart's got a subway. My Walmart ain't got one of them McDonald's. It's got a subway. Let me tell you something. Subway ain't good at very much. Really, all they do is put a salad in between two pieces of bread with a little bit of meat in between it. Subway ain't good at very much, but they are good at producing the best bread smell of any place. I don't know what bread they're cooking because I ain't never had Subway bread that tasted like it smells. But somewhere, somebody back there, every day their only job is to cook one perfect loaf of bread with the best ingredients, and then stick a box fan on it and blow it throughout that Walmart foyer. And smell. Well, how disappointed are you? I'm, listen, they don't even have to give me a rock. When I get the Subway sandwich that I ordered, I'm usually disappointed. Wouldn't you be disappointed if you got a piece of bread, got a loaf of bread, it turned out it was a rock 
instead. Prayer, never a disappointment. Notice the next statement he gives. He says, if you ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? And let me say this, that prayer, it's never a, a uh, dangerous or destructive thing. Uh, the idea being this, that a snake, a slimy, wriggly snake, and a fish could feel the same. And in the hand, you might not know the difference. When you'd know it would be when you'd open your hand and get bit by it. I'm glad, man, when we pray, I've heard people say in the past, well, you ought not pray and ask God to do anything because He just might do it. You ever heard somebody say that? You ought not pray and ask God. I, I, and I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm not trying to be cynical. Uh, but because I guess, I don't know, I guess they're trying to scare people and, and maybe they have the good, goodest intentions in doing it. But can I tell you this? You never need to be scared to pray. You never need to be scared to ask God to do whatever it takes. You know why that is? Because He loves that loved one more than you love that loved one. And I'll tell you this, that the only thing worse than whatever it may take to get them right would be if they stayed wrong. Right? That's the only thing that'd be worse. We don't have to worry when we pray and ask God for something that all of a sudden it's going to be something we weren't anticipating and it's going to be, it's going to be something that's going to hurt us. It's going to be dangerous to us. And I think that sort of lies at the heart of the next verse. He says, or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Now that really only takes on a, a vibrant and vivid picture when you realize that actually in the Middle East there is a scorpion that has the habit, it's a defense mechanism, that it will curl itself up in a ball. And this thing is white all over, and it's about the size of an egg. And so it wasn't uncommon in that day if somebody was out and was in the chicken coop was collecting eggs for them to reach down and grab what they thought was an egg only for it to uncoil and to be a scorpion and for it to strike them. Let me say this, that prayer is never, uh, the answers to prayer are never a deceptive thing. We don't have to worry that God's going to look like He's given us one thing and then swap it out and switch it out for something that's going to hurt us. We can pray with the anticipation that God is going to answer, that He's going to give us what is best for our lives, and that He's going to be honest with us. And that's where he closes in verse number 13. He says, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, if you know how to be good to your kids, he says, and you're evil. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? He says, listen, if you can do right when it comes to the matter of prayer, when you're the one that's being asked, then don't you think that God's got control of this thing? Don't you think that God's going to be good and going to be gracious to you? Now, that was my introduction. Let me give you three words very quickly. I want you to look back in verse number 1. Isn't it fascinating that the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. And yet we find before we ever see the pattern of prayer, before we ever see the principle of prayer, before we ever receive the promise of prayer, I think in that verse 1 we have a picture of what prayer looks like. I want you to notice three qualities that are part of a powerful prayer life. Look at verse number 1. This is what I'm getting at. He gives them a picture, or can I give this this word? He gives them an example of what prayer looks like. I've learned this. There are certain things in life that you learn by study. There are certain things you learn by experience. And there are certain things that you only learn by watching. There are some things that the best way to learn it is to see somebody else do it. 
And I think there's a lot we can learn about prayer in those three elements and areas. But I think if we'll learn by watching the Lord Jesus here, we'll find that three things ought to be present in our prayer life. Three characteristics, three qualities. Look with me at verse number 1. This is what predicated it. This is what sparked this whole conversation. This is what made the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. Is that when they saw Jesus, they saw, number one, that He was constant in prayer. The Bible says, and it came to pass, that as He was praying, There's another place where the Bible talks about Jesus' prayer life that He went apart and He prayed. The Bible says, as He was wont to do. Can I just make this simple statement to you and I'll move on? Prayer ought to be a constant activity in our life. People say, Preacher, I don't know how to pray. If you know how to talk, you know how to pray. Prayer ain't nothing but talking to God. Say, Lord... I can't imagine I'd even know what to say. Or I can't even imagine that what I'd say, I'd say in the right way. You know that God knew we'd feel that way. So you know what He did? When He saved each and every one of us, the Holy Spirit of God took up residence in our heart and life. He's the one that tells you when you're doing something wrong that you're doing something wrong. He's the one that all of a sudden, now that you've been born again, all of a sudden He's put a want to in you to live for the Lord and to do the right thing. That's who that is. That's what He's doing in your life. The Bible says in Romans chapter number 8 that when we don't know what we ought to pray, when we have no clue what we ought to say or how to say it or what we should ask for, that the Spirit itself maketh intercession. You know what that means? He goes between us. He goes between us. Almost like if you had somebody here that spoke one language and somebody here that spoke another language and they had no way to communicate, they couldn't understand one another. But here's a translator right in the middle. And he can take what one person says and he can change it around. He can take the vowels and the, and the phonetics of it and he can make it what it needs to be to be fit to the ears of the other person. He takes and he intercedes. That's what the Spirit of God does for us. He takes that muddled mess of a prayer that we've prayed where we really ain't got no... I, one person said it this way. Hey, listen, I'd rather have heart with no words than words with no heart. He takes our heart's cry... And he swaps it around and he cleans it off and he kicks that claws in the garbage and he plugs this in. He says this right way and he makes that thing right for the ears of God. And he, with groanings and utterings, the Bible says, which cannot be discerned, he maketh intercession for the saints. You know why? Because he that maketh intercession knoweth the mind of the Father. He knows what God wants to hear. He knows what we want to say. And so he goes and he makes intercession. People say, Preacher, I don't even know how to pray. Sure you do. Just bear your heart to God. Just talk to God. You say, is he listening? Yes, he is. And by faith, because that's what faith is, is taking God at his word, not, not listening to our feelings, but taking God at his word and responding in obedience and in rightness to it. Just go ahead and talk to God. Will he hear? Yes, he'll hear. He promises he'll hear. And so the Lord Jesus, he was wont to pray. And all through the Bible, we find examples of Christ praying. And here in this passage, it's no different. The Bible speaks of His prayer life as a constant present reality. That Christ, as He was praying, it came to pass that as He was praying, it wasn't something, there were times that He set aside, I want to be careful what I'm about to say here, there were times that He set aside and devoted exclusively to prayer. But we find prayer to not be a rare occasion in His life. Prayer was just something He was always doing. Let me say this, that in our life there needs to be both a dedicated time in which we get alone with God and pray, but prayer also ought to be something that's just a constant reality in our lives.
That's how the Bible can say pray without ceasing. Is we ought to just be in constant conversation. One of the things, we live in a technological age nowadays. And it used to be, if you wanted somebody to get a hold of you, you'd say, hey, call me. I guess you go far enough back, you'd say, hey, write me. But now you can't just say that. You've got to say, hey, call me or text me or email me or Twitter me or Facebook me or Instagram me or send me a Marco Polo or whatever it might be. We've got 7,000 ways to communicate nowadays. And me and my wife, we, we have this, this uh, messaging app that we use. And one of the things that is a blessing today is we can be in a state of constant communication. And it's it, it really, it's changed the way husbands and wives interact. This is part of the reason I think there ain't no dinner table experiences anymore. It, it is because used to, you, you, the husband go away to work, wife stay at home, or maybe she'd work too. They'd be apart from each other eight, nine hours a day. They'd get off work. They'd come home. They'd say, what happened today? And they'd sit around and talk. Nowadays, man, there ain't nothing left to talk about. We've been talking all day. And isn't that how prayer should be? I feel like sometimes we want to take three months worth of, of activities and desires and needs and problems and issues and pack them into ten minutes. And we ain't never going to get it done. You know what would be better? If we just lived in a constant state of communication. Just talking to God all day. After all, He's there. Just talking to Him all day, man. If something happens. Lord, what do you want me to do about this? Lord, I don't know what to do about this. Lord, did you see that guy drive like an idiot? Give me grace, give me wisdom, give me cunning. Teach my fingers skill not to war but to drive. Just in constant communication with God. The Lord Jesus, He was constant in prayer. Let me give you a second thing. He he was private, or we might say distinct in prayer. He had a private place. Look what it says, as He was praying in a certain place. There's a reason on the night that the Lord was betrayed that Judas knew where he could find him. Because the Bible says he was wont to go there in prayer. The Lord Jesus had a certain place that he went to. You know, one of the things that will help your prayer life is if you'll get it just a little bit organized. I, I don't necessarily believe we have to have a, a, a 6.30 appointment with God every morning. If we miss it, we're going to beat ourselves over the back or we're going to stick bamboo shoots in our fingernails. No, listen, I believe God can give us great... But we ought to have a little structure... We ought to have a little bit of a plan, a little bit of an idea. What's the old phrase? Hey, listen, fail to plan, plan to fail. And we ought to have a certain place or a certain time that we go to that ain't about everything else. It's about us and God and us getting down to business and talking to the Lord. Can I tell you this? All of the theology about prayer will never replace praying. All the knowing about prayer will never replace praying. Prayer is, listen, prayer is an exercise. It's not a phenomenon. It's a habit and it's an activity. It's something that that the only way to pray, this is deep, you ready? The only way to pray is to pray, is to engage in it, is to exercise in it, is to do it. You ought to have a place that's a place where you and God meet and where you talk and a place that's devoted. I'm not listen. I'm not saying you got to have room in your house that's never entered except when you're praying. But I'm saying there needs to be a particular place. Jesus had certain places when he wanted to pray that he went to. You know why that is? He knew he could get alone with God. 
And we're going to say a word deeper about this here in just a moment. But but there's a reason that in the Middle East, everything's so busy, everything's so chaotic, there's so much activity. There's a reason that they have set aside times for prayer. And this is true not just of, of Judaism, but it's true of every single Eastern quote-unquote religion, if we want to call it that. Every, every single ancient religion they have dedicated times of prayer. And the reason why is because they had to have moments and times in society where they'd have everybody just sit down and hush. Because the rest of their existence in life is a constant barrage of animal noises, of, of busyness, of activity, of labor, of work. And it was hard to get away and to find time and have a place. That's the reason whenever Peter uh, received the vision from the Lord, he was up on top of the house. You know why? He's trying to get someplace nobody else would go. He was trying to get alone and get with God. Listen, I, I'm for praying when you're on your way to work or on your way back. But you ought to have time that you're praying when you're not having to worry about the idiot next to you in the next lane. I, listen, I'm for it. If you got, if you can sit at your desk, if you've got a job mindless enough, if you're like, I don't know if it was Laverne or Shirley, but one of them just, just what, put them caps on the bottles, or I guess both of them did, I don't know. I never watched that mess, you did, but you may have a job that's mindless enough that you can just zone out. And you can talk to God and you can do it effectively. God bless you, man. That's wonderful. I remember when I was working in, in my buddy Stephen will know something about this. I was working in a trim shop and, and my job, I was building special doors. So like big double doors, French doors, stuff like that. But it was so loud, you couldn't hear nothing. I'm talking about nothing. There was compressors running all day and you had to wear, you know, earphones and stuff to keep your hearing from going. And so a lot of times it'd just be me at that table and, and I'd put them earphones on. I couldn't hear nothing and I'd be singing, son, gospel songs. I'd be praying. I'd be talking to God. They'd probably sit over there thinking, man, that guy is crazy. We need to report him. He's over there talking to some God. But I could get alone enough that I could talk. But can I say this? That's not sufficient. It's a good thing, man. The more praying you can do is better than the less praying. But you need to have a place that you go to. That brings me to our third thought and I'm done. He was wholehearted in his prayer. Notice that the Bible says this in verse number 1. came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased. When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. You know why it says when he ceased? Because they knew better than to interrupt him when he's praying. They knew that there was no reason for them to ask this question while he was praying. You know why? Because his whole attention and focus was placed on the communication he was having with his father. This sort of goes hand in hand with what I said, so I'm not going to belabor it. But you know why it is that it's not sufficient just for you to pray on your way to work? Because you're having to pay attention to the red lights, to the guy in front of you, to the people on either side of you, to, to the guy riding your bumper. You're having to pay attention to all that stuff. I hope you are. If not, let me say this. You're either a really good driver or a really good prayer. One of the two. Amen? It might be because you're praying that you don't have a wreck. But that's the reason. Listen, that's good and all. But you need some time when it's just you and God. When you can focus completely, totally, without any distractions and get alone with God and pray and talk to Him. You know, I found this, and this is true of everything in life. Everything in life we can get done a lot more effectively and efficiently if we can devote our whole attention to it. There are a lot of things that I can get done over the course of a whole day it'll take me if I'm doing everything else. But oftentimes, if I'll push everything aside and sit down with just that one task, I can get it done in 30 minutes or an hour. You know, prayer is a lot like that too. We might find that in prayer we ought to be in constant communication with God, but we might find that our prayer life was not so lacking 
if we would devote specific moments and times of the day. What I'm saying is this, it don't take two hours most of the time if, if what we're doing, we're devoting our entire attention to Him. There might be instances in your life where you got to wrestle all night in prayer like Jacob did, but most of the time when we need to get a hold of God, it would not take us near as long as we think it would if we just push out all the distractions and get alone with God and focus on Him. I don't know how it is for you, but I know for me, most of the time when I'm praying, I'll get maybe four or five sentences down the road and then my mind will start trying to wander. And I'll start trying to think of this or trying to think of that. Sometimes it'll be the things I'm praying over will be the things that will make my mind wander. And I'll find myself thinking about the things I'm praying over instead of praying over it. Now, listen, some of us, we just have trouble focusing, I know. But at the end of the day, a lot of that is a product of us having other things going on when we ought to have been focusing on prayer. I'm not saying that if you get alone with God and don't have any other noise, any other activity, any other distractions, I'm not saying that that, that that's going to go away entirely, but I'm saying it'll go a long way to helping it. I told you on Wednesday night, I don't know, I feel funny even sharing this, but I guess I'll share it again. I said it Wednesday night, ain't no big secret. I, I don't necessarily, somebody asked me the other day, do you have a prayer closet? I thought, no, man, I got too much junk to have a closet just for prayer. <laughs> All my closets are junk closets. I got stuff in them. They said, do you have a prayer closet? I said, no. I, I said, I don't have a particular closet or something. And they said, well, do you have a particular place that you go to? And I said, here's what I do. So most of the time when I'm serious about praying, I pray in my house, and I've got a few locations I might go to. A lot of it depends on where the kids are at. I said, but here's what I do when I get alone with God. Typically, I'll lay on my face with my eyes closed, with my ears covered. And that's how I pray. Now, you ain't got to pray like that. I'm not saying that's the only way or even a right way to pray. It's just the way I do it. But the reason that I do that is because if I don't get to a place where the only thing I can hear is my God, my voice and God's voice, then pretty soon my mind will start to wander. And I'll start thinking about it. And then you know what I'll start doing? I'll start asking God for things and I'm not really asking Him for them. Lord, help me. Lord, protect me. Lord, bless me. And I ain't really even thinking about it. It's just automatic stuff. It just comes out of your mind or out of your, out of your head or out of your mouth. And, I, and I've lost the engagement. I've lost the intellectual engagement that I had with God. Now I'm not... You can do this. You can see this happen when people are talking. Sometimes you'll be... You ever been talking to someone halfway through the conversation, you realize they weren't even having a conversation with you? They're just saying enough to keep you talking. And that's what we do sometimes. A lot of what can remedy that is if we'll get alone with God, get our focus on Him and Him alone, and engage purposefully, intently, and wholeheartedly in communicating with Him. Praying is accomplished by praying. And there's no better way to start than tonight by beginning at this altar, saying, Lord, help me in my prayer life. God, correct and instruct me in the ways that I need to be corrected and instructed. And Lord, give me a fresh commitment to the activity of prayer.